0: Welcome to episode six of the New Producers Podcast. My name is Josh Sewell. I'm here with Stephen Von Haken as always, and today we have a very special guest, Lee Hester. Lee records his music under the name Too Far Moon, and today we're talking about music licensing in particular and how it can be a great stream of revenue as well as a marketing tool and a way to gain more exposure for independent artists. Lee has licensed his music well over a hundred times And one of the reasons I wanted to have him on the show is that he's been licensing music since the early 2000s. So he's been in this a lot longer than most people. And the knowledge that Lee has gained through that time is really invaluable. And I really feel like things that were shared in this episode go beyond even some of what I've learned through some paid courses that I've taken for music licensing. So I hope you enjoyed. There's so much information here that we've actually broken it up into two episodes. So here's part one of our interview with Lee Hester. Yeah, why don't you tell the story of uh, how you got into it or sort of stumbled into licensing your music? Okay. 2003
1: or 2002, I think, it was the uh, first time. So I got an email, as I mentioned before, I got an email from Sony Pictures, (laughs) and they requested uh, a couple of the songs from a record that I had released that year, which I had no idea that anybody had heard my record outside of Nashville (laughs) because we didn't have (laughs) iTunes or Spotify or anything like that. And this was independent release. This was independent release, no label, no publisher. Um, I was doing, you know, shows around town and that was about it in Nashville. And so I get this email and my response was, is this a joke? <laughs> I, I thought, you know, I thought maybe a friend had had a friend at Sony or something. They've, <laughs> they've attached this little <laughs> thing that made it look like it was real, you, yeah. know? you know, like this, like a scammer, you know, yeah. and I won't say her name because we're friends now, um, <laughs> but she responded Yes, I'm I'm quite serious. Um, this is not a joke. And she was a little offended and I asked her if again, if this was real because I didn't really understand yep. how Sony all the way in LA got my music or how yep. is the music supervisor got it.
0: So you hadn't submitted anything. I had not submitted anything. At- I
1: have I still have no idea <laughs> how this guy got my yep. music. And he had to get a physical copy because I I don't even think that I was selling anything online at that time. Yep. I didn't even have a website, honestly. Hmm. I think MySpace <laughs> was the really cool thing. Yeah. Really? I yeah. remember. Yeah. Yeah. You know, way back then when you had to crank the cars to get them to start, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was a real email and it was a real request. And um through a couple of conversations. I had two or three songs on that year's season of Dawson's Creek. Wow. Which was huge. Yeah. You know, so that's how, that's how, that was my first time getting into TV and yeah. into the licensing world.
0: Which that show at the time too, I mean, for anybody that may not have watched that show, it was huge. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it was the Grey's Anatomy of yeah. that time. I mean, it was like ER. Right. Basically, I think it was kind of in that, in, in that time frame. And the interesting thing about it was this was prior to, it was almost exclusive to sign bands. Very few independent artists got licensing at that time. So I was, may have been the first in Nashville and I actually got harassed by it. I had, I had Uh, some publishers harass me because they were fighting for the same spot and they found out that I got the placement and actually had a one person in particular I won't mention his name because we're friends <laughs> yeah. we worked through it but he like went off on me because I took the specific placement that his artist had been requested for wow well,
0: um, dare you so, as an yeah, independent yay, artist independent, yay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> one for the little guy yeah
1: that's great so that's kind of how it how it started it you know it sounds like a fairy tale I mean it really was at the time yeah. I think it was out of nowhere, so.
2: What was it like watching that episode?
1: It was pretty awesome. Um, shameful to say, but um, <laughs> I had a group of people that came over, and yep. we yep. all watched it together. And it was like this huge. It was like watching the Super Bowl, yep. and it was like an episode of a show. Yeah,
0: yeah. I know. The, okay. the first time that I heard, um, I think the f- the first one that I heard wasn't even one of my own songs. It was just something I had mixed. And I literally fell off the couch. Cause I tried to sit up real quick to go get my wife and tell mm-hmm. her. And I fell off the couch. <laughs> and it was no, it wasn't even near as cool of a show or as it was a a show on Bravo, like a, a fixer upper uh, you know, home improvement kind of show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a cool feeling though. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But I think the cool thing about that story is that as musicians, we try to do so many things to make things happen, and a lot of times we feel like we're just hitting the wall. Mm-hmm. We're constantly banging our head against the wall. So, really, the moral of the story is that you just put the best music that you could at the time out. You didn't have the money behind it, or the, you know, the major label money or the promotion. I mean, did you have you didn't have a publishing deal at the time or no, no kind do you of? You want to know
1: what kind of gear I used for that record? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a Digio One and an old G4 like. Like G Mac, I think, yeah. or whatever they were called. Yeah. I didn't even know how to cut the thing on when I bought it, because <laughs> I was PC based. So I, yeah. I bought this like Digio One rig with the computer, no plugins, but what it came with, and no other interface, nothing. Yeah. Just that those two things, and I had an NTK yeah. and a C one thousand. Okay, those are those were my mics. Yeah, I didn't even have a fifty seven, and borrowed some gear, but. That particular record, we used a Mackie VLZ Pro for eight extra channels that we ran into a uh, an ADAT. We used the conversion on the ADAT, which actually was, I think the conversion on the ADAT is twenty. It's not even sixteen bit, right? It's twenty right. bit. Yeah. That's so it didn't even match what else was going into <laughs> right. the Digio One, because that was going in at at six. I don't even think it was twenty four. Right. My It was just sixteen. Yeah. So one had 20 and one had 16, and they were all somehow going in together. <laughs> Somebody got truncated along the way. Yeah, and it worked Right, <laughs> and it was in my house. It was in a living room. We yeah. recorded the whole record in a living room. Wow. Um, when I did vocals, we rented, I think I rented like a 1073 and a Distressor. Cool. From like Gear for Days and Nashville yeah, yeah. or something like that. So we did, you know, we did up the yeah. up the goods a little bit on the yeah. vocals, but everything else was was through this, what a lot of people would consider to be terrible. Right. Yeah. And it was mixed in the same, on the same computer by one of my buddies in my house. In your house, yeah. And the next thing you know, the record's on TV, you know, so.
0: Which I'm sure your house was completely uh, sound treated by a professional. Oh, totally.
1: (laughs) Just, you know, fake trees on the corners and, you know, a couple of couches
0: a bookshelf you know, somewhere. One of the yeah. interesting
1: things, I had a roommate at the time, and he toured a lot. He was a He's a front-of-house engineer, which obviously that really helped because he was all, you know, you're not doing that right. You're not doing that right. <laughs> so he had to get up really early one morning, and we had to track guitars that night. So he's like, There's, is there any way that you can do it somewhere else? And I'm like, no. So the engineer, the guy that mixed the record, was there with me that night. And so we decided to put the amps in my explorer. And, Outside. Yeah. yeah. And we, <laughs> <laughs> so we moved the. God, I can't believe this. So we moved the you know the explorer all the way up against the 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 back doors where because my studio was yeah. where I had the studio set up was right by um, like French doors to go out to the back of the house. And so we backed it up right there, and ran cabling into. The back of the explorer and mic the guitars and oh. recorded guitars inside of an explorer. Wow. Were those um, tracks
2: amazing or
1: they were uh pretty isolated. That's yeah. awesome. Man. You know, cars are i yeah. they're cars it's pretty I was good say. for isolating, yeah. surprisingly. I mean, just you know, park beside a train one day and open the door and shut it, open the door and shut it, and yeah. you you'll see how pretty remarkable yeah, it is. Wow.
0: It worked. So I think the thing is like if you've got great songs and you know, you try to do the best arrangement and production you can do, we were talking about this earlier today. It makes your job a lot easier when it Mm -hmm. comes time to mix. And so it's so cool to hear you getting creative with what you had. Cause I think that's where, you know, a lot of us struggle coming up as engineers. Well, I can't make an album or I can't like at the time you had no independent artists to look to on Dawson's Creek or any other show really to say, well, they did it, so I can do it. No, you're looking at everybody else that was in, you know, even at that time, the budgets in the studios, like massive uh, budgets and, and spaces to record in, but you just did it anyway, and it totally worked out. I mean, that's so cool to to think for people, the tools that we have now, if you would have seen them back then, you know, uh, 12, 13 years ago or whatever, it would have been like Christmas
1: morning, you know, oh, yeah. so... I mean, the, the Digio one isn't like it's not a great sounding. piece It doesn't of have a good <laughs> reputation. <laughs> even though coming that from it's an a, owner, who, yeah. you know, who did I did three records, yeah, on it. Interesting thing about great songs, and I think this is important. The music supervisor who used the songs for Dawson's Creek. One of my amateur mistakes that I made was I emailed him asking him if there was anything specific that he would like for me to write. Once I got the placement, and his response was, "I used your songs because I thought they were great. So, just keep writing great songs yep. and keep sending me great songs." Yeah, that that was really all he said. He was like, yeah. "I just keep sending me great songs." Yeah, I think that's so key because um, I actually took a
0: whole music supervision course at one point uh, from a pretty well-known music supervisor one of the things that they tried to stress to us is that in, in this game of music licensing, if you're doing great, you're going to get a placement rate of like 6% or something. If even that, I mean, three to 6% or something. And so in other words, you're going to hear no, the vast majority of the time. And if you take it personally, it, you you're just going to not make it in this game at all. Mm-hmm. But some of your favorite music supervision places, That I was able to cultivate some kind of relationship with it. They kept driving that point home of like, just send us great music. And even though I'm telling you I love this song, I don't know if I'll find a place for it. Because they're being hired by by somebody else. They're having to meet somebody's uh creative brief, which you've seen creative briefs, you know how all over the place those things can be. You know, sometimes it's almost laughable. That's the thing. It was a logical next question. Like, hey, I finally got in the door. How do I stay here? How do I keep you happy and keep doing He's like, nope. You got to go back to what you were doing before. And that's the thing is that uh, even if they love your music, it has to be the right placement at the right time. And and it, it's really almost like a needle in a haystack, you know,
1: not to discourage
0: anyone. but Right.
1: And it's also genre focused. Yeah. You know, like as music... As music changes, as what we consider to be popular changes, yeah. so does the supervising world. Yeah. And what they used. It mm-hmm. it changes too. So, you know, there could be somebody who ten years ago got a ton of placements, like I did. Those songs can't be used anymore. They can't yeah. be used now. Yeah. They have a shelf life.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so a part of licensing is it's staying where the music is going it's staying where what is popular you know it, it's adapting to what they're using yeah that's, that's part so of true. it too
0: and and the the tough part about doing that in an original fresh way mm-hmm. so staying current as an artist at the same time right without chasing trends because as soon as you start chasing your your you' mind yeah. yeah I yeah.
2: find it interesting like over the last five years it was like you know sticks claps all that and really kind of folk Mm. indie sort of vibe yeah but now you know with the creative briefs it's like it's kind of going edm sort of
0: some stuff yeah i've
2: seen a lot of sort of edm placements you know and it's you know it's going really electronic so we need to start
1: doing an edm record guys let's do it we're
0: gonna we might just start right now and just see what happens (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but i mean it's just trends right yeah
2: and I mean, if you're making, like we've written a lot of stuff, you know, mm. a lot of those songs that I wrote, I hate, Yeah, they're so annoying, Well, are <laughs> so annoying. Right, because you know? we,
0: in those cases, we, and, and I know Lee, you mentioned earlier, you had kind of gotten into this at one point, and I think your experience was similar to ours, you found yourself writing for a specific brief that came to you, which is kind of fun at first, because like, oh, I wouldn't usually write a song mm-hmm. about this, you know, and Sometimes the turnaround on those were
2: 24 hours, 24
0: hours, if not less. And so it was actually pretty challenging and fun to try to knock that out. Mm -hmm. But then you start to find the artistic side is kind of, so you're kind of getting that low hanging fruit sometimes. And there are 10,000 other people that
1: got the brief. They did. Exactly.
0: What can happen is uh, you lose yourself as an artist. You start and first of all, those briefs, are not usually coming from musical people. They're coming from... admin, And 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 they have
1: no idea what they want. And they're
0: trying. They're trying to, but they're like... And honestly, I've gotten them that compared two artists that were nothing alike. And if you ever even tried to do a mashup of the two, it would just be awful. And then you do exactly what they said, and you send it, and they're like, "Uh, actually, I think we want it to sound like this. And it's like some artist way over the other side of the spectrum. So um, not to get too far off track, but one thing that was kind of cool is there was a car commercial recently, which they kind of are pretty known for having some cool spots. You know, there's some cool songs that I've discovered over the years that I ended up actually liking through certain car ads. And this song was really cool. And I shazammed it and found out who it was. And it had actually been released in like 06. And this was in probably 2014 that it finally hit that ad. And, That's crazy. you man. know, hopefully it was a good six figure ad for him or so It was a, it was a high dollar, you know, auto manufacturer. Um, but just to show you like that person probably thought there is no way that song is going to be used in, you know, nine years, eight or nine years later, finally had its moment. So yeah. you just don't know.
1: You're right. Yeah. That's
2: funny with, you know, Hugh. He did that Sprite mm. commercial. Yeah, you know it's like called "Falling Away" or something like that. You ever
0: remember that song, the Sprite commercial where the the people are playing basketball and one of them like hangs on the rim and then when they fall back into the court, it's all of a sudden a swimming pool and oh yeah, uh, it, it's it was been the a coolest while. spot. Yeah. But yeah,
2: he wrote that song specifically yeah. for a Spot, right? You know, um, and then it gained so much traction and mm-hmm. people were on the internet like, didn't you know, he build the, the song out after that? Yeah, because yeah, that he only had a yeah. verse and you know yeah. maybe you know, a course hook or something Mm. like that. And that was it.
0: Well, when you get the brief and they want 30 seconds and you've got 12 hours to do it,
2: that's all you got time for. Yeah. That's
0: the longest 30 seconds you've ever seen in your life to try to fill that up, you know? So yeah, it's funny. It's
2: just cool to see that, you know, how that worked, you know, kind of in reverse, you know?
0: Right. So cool. So let's fast forward a little bit. I think it's really cool. Like how early you got into the game and the fact that I had never actually asked you that. So it's cool for me to learn too, that, it was totally by chance, you know, people have really been chasing licensing. It's not a very well-kept secret anymore. And as the music industry has shrunk with album sales and other streams of revenue, it's been like, Oh, you know, all these mass music libraries coming up, retitling, all those sorts of things. You never had to get your foot in the door that way. So I was just curious your thoughts on Some of these bigger, uh, I mean, I'll name them because I'm not criticizing them, but Jingle Punks, Music Dealers, some of those sort of things. For anybody that's brand new to the game, how do you feel about maybe putting your music on those sites for a period to just kind of get, you know, some skin in the game? Or would you probably hold off, try to stay more independent and try to seek something exclusive?
1: Wow. (laughs) being someone who has stumbled mightily through that journey yeah the advice that i would give is to not throw yourself into a huge lake with you know thousands however many artists some of those bigger companies represent yeah it's also a full-time job to try to license independently okay so i've retitled i've worked with a company that retitled yeah I've worked with a company that was exclusive. I've worked with a company that was non-exclusive and didn't retitle. They would pitch and then I could sign with somebody else who was non-exclusive and they could pitch the exact same master, yeah. right? That's yeah. a disaster. You know, from my experience, yeah. it's very confusing for the supervisors when they get a pitch from two different people with the same master.
0: Especially when one <laughs> is priced differently than the other. It
1: can really mess up friendships, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So my initial thought is anybody who wants to to start getting into licensing, do your best to make a really, really great project first. Yeah. Let that be the most important thing that you do, even if it's just three songs or if it's just one song, knock it out of the park. And then you can start to adventure into you know licensing where you're going to know somebody who knows somebody or you're going to at least be able to research online. But I think it's going to be really good to ask questions. There are lots of forums you can talk to people. You know, I'll be more than happy if anybody who hears this Mm -hmm. wants to ask questions about certain companies. I don't have a pro-con kind of thing about that, but there are ways now with the internet where you don't just have one opportunity, you don't have one option. But I have friends who are with those companies Mm -hmm. and the way that I see it is just like the PROs. And am I going to get in trouble by mentioning PROs on here? (laughs) We can edit this part. If we we need need to, to, we will. (laughs) So, even after it's been released, we'll go back and edit and re upload it. There you go. Yeah. We'll (laughs) micro edit. Like, I don't know what you heard. So, you know, so BMI and ASCAP will pretty much take on anybody to be their PRO. CSAC is referral only. Yeah. And there's a reason for it. They don't just take a massive amount of people, and, you know, it's a different way of doing things and I feel like some of these bigger companies are very similar. They basically will take anybody on and throw it up against the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. There's not quality there. You're not going to find the representation that you're probably hoping to find. Yeah. Mm. And I think too that if you make something that's really great or something that has license appeal, it's going to find its place. You you have to do you have to work. You know, yeah. I think we were talking about this earlier that, you know, I worked I can't even tell you how hard I worked to get licensing after I got those placements. It didn't just happen for me. Yeah. Like it didn't just keep happening for me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, trips to LA and you know, all kinds of stuff, but I really did my research and I did my homework for years and I continued to try to find what I felt was best for my catalog and what was best for me. So I think that's important too, is that, you got to do the work. There are going to be plenty of people who will he'll take you where you are and they'll take your music where you are and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll take your money where you yeah. are. Yeah. You know, there are lots of different deals and there are lots of different percentages and there are lots of different people who can negotiate a lot of different rates Yeah. because of what I've gone through and some of the experiences I've had, I'm kind of on the more the safe side mm-hmm. of not taking the first offer. Yeah. But let the first offer kind of be inspiration to maybe Find a better offer. There's so many resources out there. Yeah. You know, and maybe we can we can talk about those or like put those oh, yeah. to make those available. Put some you links know. in the show notes for sure. Here's a, an example. I had songs on Dawson's Creek and it paid well way back then. Yeah. What I did with some of that money was I bought a lifelong subscription to a music supervisor registry. Mm-hmm. And I began to personally email cold. Turkey email, yeah. thousands, I mean, thousands of supervisors.
0: And you're still completely independent at this point. Still completely no.
1: independent and yeah. had a day job, Yeah, you know, I had a full-time job and I was still trying to make records and still trying yeah. to get licensing. And, yeah. you know, I just started sending out emails and believe it or not, one out of 30, one out of 40 yeah, wow. said, sure. Yeah. Send me what you got. let me ask you this real quick, just on a practical tip.
0: That initial contact, did you send music? Did you send promotion or were you just trying to say hello? See, I think that's key because I think some people do. And and one thing that I've found, especially if you attach a file to the email, a
1: large MP3, it drives them nuts. Well, it also won't get to them most of the time, especially if they're with bigger companies. Yeah. You know, back then, if it was AOL or if it was, you know, Hotmail or whatever. I don't think Gmail was around back then. Yeah, (laughs) Um, It may not have gone through either. But yeah, I I think a lot of my initial dialogue or the context of the emails were, uh, let me backtrack because this is important too. I didn't just cold turkey everybody. Yeah, I researched what shows they did. That's the key. Because what's important is you you don't want to say, hey, I've got music that I think you're really going to love when you do heavy metal and they license folk music. There you go. So you really need to do your homework yeah. and actually know something about these people yeah. because they are people. They're they're real people and, and they don't like to get random emails like saying, Hey, you're going to love my stuff. And yeah. then they're like, they don't even know who I am. Yeah. They, they don't even know what I'm doing. So it sounds like, and it looks like it's just an email right. blast. Right. So you want to know what they're doing so you can have some kind of context. Mm-hmm. You, they were all personal. Like I didn't, you know blanket email anybody yeah wow. i mean thousands of like personal emails yeah. right and it didn't happen overnight it happened over months it took me months to do this and they change they constantly are changing so every six months or so i would send out new emails and, and to new mm-hmm. supervisors and new music or you know um they would pick up different shows you know a show would get dropped they'd pick up a different show right. so you had to keep up with all this stuff right Yeah. so it's a lot of work but the main thing that I did in, in contacting them was knowing what they did and if what they did f- fit my music, then that's who I contacted. Right. Yeah. it's smart. And I also, I didn't send MP3s. I I basically was like, Hey, I've had some stuff on Dawson's Creek. Yeah. I'm not really sure what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of really honest Yeah. You know? I was like, Hey, great. I had a great opportunity. Some stuff got licensed on Dawson's Creek. Yeah. You do similar shows. I'm just curious if you might be interested in yeah. in hearing some some of my stuff. Yeah. You know, let me know. I'd love to mm-hmm. I'd love to send you some stuff, you know, when you get a chance. Yeah. And it was just that simple. Yeah. You know, it was a couple lines, it was no big deal. They don't have a lot of time to read a big paragraph. Right. And that was then. Now I have somebody who does all that for me. Yeah. So, you <laughs> know, I, I have a company that I'm really happy with that takes care of all that. But for 10 years, I did it myself. Right. And the company you're with
0: now, for example, doesn't take unsolicited material, right? No. Yeah. No,
1: they don't take unsolicited. Right. So it it's all word of mouth, and yep. they go through a selection process. Like I've I've sent them friends that I love yep. music. I'm like, this is a no brainer, and, and they're like, no, did, it doesn't work. It just for
0: depends us. on what they already have in their
1: catalog, and yeah, they don't they don't want to have things that are are going to compete with you know they're <laughs> very that's that is the thing yeah. that's the difference with like. Yeah. Music dealers, or like some of these bigger companies, right. and more of like you know your smaller boutique style companies, yeah. is that they are very protective of their roster, and they don't want there to be a confliction. Yeah, you know, to where they have too much of the same thing, or they have two artists that are competing for the same spots every right. single time. They want to have more diversity, and li- limited diversity. Yeah,
0: yeah. When you find that, they they really fight for you. Oh yeah, they really have your back and and you had mentioned earlier when we were talking how they're really a fan of yours. And Mm -hmm. I, I found that too, man. I've, you know, there's certain music supervisors now that like wish me happy birthday every year that, you know what I mean? Just like stuff that you would think like, I'm surprised they even remember me from, you know, the little bit of interaction we've had. But I think sometimes in the music business, we've all had that mindset of like the, the label heads and the, the kind of the jerk producer and that sort of thing. And it's been my experience with music supervisors, they're a different breed. Not to bash, like or stereotype any, but I'm saying like the movie character of who you would, you know, the producer that comes in and just cusses everybody out kind of thing. I found them to be really cool, really humble, down to earth people that uh, are just music fans, you know. And if they like your stuff, man, I mean, you've you've got a really influential, really cool person to have on your team. That's right yeah. and they help each other too yeah
1: and they're a family I don't know what you've experienced but the years that I've worked with the supervisors that I have I've probably worked with over 100 of them yeah at some point and they all know each other they all have dinner with each other they yeah. all go to parties together they all go to the same shows together yeah. it's really amazing it's not anything that I've seen before in yeah. an industry of that magnitude yeah so they help each other so yeah they like your music and they become a fan it may not mean that they can ever license your stuff. Yeah. They may not ever work on anything that you do, or they may have worked on something that would fit, but they don't work on it anymore, or yeah. the shows, you know, get canceled and that kind of thing. And yeah. so, one supervisor may work on something that's really dark, and then the show is is done, and the next thing you know, they're working on like a comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you can't pitch the same music <laughs> yeah. for something that's really dark, right. drama and comedy at the same yeah. time. You know, so, but they also help each other find music for each other. I've experienced that too. Yeah, that's cool. So, actually, firsthand, not with my music, in real time conversation. Like I was out in LA hanging out with some friends, and they were talking about it. And one helped the other get a placement, like right there in front of me. Wow. You know, they helped them find a track. They need some kind of random salsa. (laughs) Yeah. Track. You know, or some oddball kind of thing. Like, oh, I just. I just talked to somebody in Brazil the other day. and You should check them out and wow. the emails and whatever. And then they got the placement right yeah. there. You know, Cause so they're like, like I, I haven't known what to do with this. Yeah, so they're, they're like, I can't it. use it. But hey, yeah. you know, so they help each other. That's but, great. but they're super close to each other, so you don't yeah. want to piss them off either. You know, you don't. That's one point. one thing you don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to send them emails. You don't want to bug them yes. because they. You don't say, hey, just checking in. Checking in is not no. not optional. If yeah. you're doing it independently, I trust that my representative is. Yeah. You know, she's doing her job the right way and communicating the right way but if you're doing it independently when they say we'll get back to you mm-hmm. that's what they mean
0: yeah, yeah. and it they there. will it, yeah and and, and it they might will be they, two it, years it later may be two years yeah
1: or it may it may be never yeah. and you may just want to say hey mm-hmm. i hope you're doing well you know we'll, we'll get back to you if we can use this stuff we think you know they may say we think it's great it's awesome it's the best thing i've ever heard in my yeah. life if i can use it i'll get back to you right and that's a great place to be yeah no news is good news. Yeah. You know, when it comes to to that, so you don't want to push them or bug them or constantly email checking in to say, "Hey, yeah. Have <laughs> you listened to the song? Have you listened to the song?"
0: Yeah. You know,
1: cuz you know the stuff that they deal with on both sides.
0: You got to think they're they're working with the artist. And especially if they're dealing with somebody that's got co-writers and different publishers involved and labels and all the licensing that goes into clearing a song. Right. Then they're working with, you know, the the people on the film and production side of the project that might completely change their mind all of a sudden after they've gotten something cleared. And now they really love something that they need last minute to get cleared. And sometimes they can't find the contact that they need or whatever it is. So they, they really, um, I think they've got a lot going on. And so if if they've said they like your music, just take that, put the feather in your cap, and just go on and work on some more music. That's right. They'll put it yeah. in a file. They'll, they will. They will put
1: it in their iTunes and yeah. favorites folder. They yeah. have their way of doing things. They'll right. put it on a stack of CDs. That's yeah. their A stack. Yeah. I've heard that some of the supervisors, they'll get over a thousand CDs a week. Yeah. Of brand new music. Yeah. That they've never heard in their yeah. life.
2: Yeah. It's insane, man. And I'll,
1: I'll I mean, say, think about that. Yeah. When's the last time you listened to a thousand CDs? No, I mean, especially now <laughs> when you. I don't even think I've seen a thousand CDs. No. Pack, piled up. No. So <laughs> yeah, that's
0: that's really overwhelming. I mean, I th- a couple of just practical things I, that I like to mention to kind of go along with that. If you do send the CD, um, have your contact information on the CD because what I've heard from some some well known licensing companies. They go to pull your CD and they don't remember how to get in touch with you. They don't remember the email that's attached to this CD that's on the shelf. So I would always get these custom stickers made or, or print them out myself to make sure on the disc itself and the packaging on the CD right. was my contact info. And
1: metadata, metadata, Yes. metadata, metadata. Yes. metadata. Yeah.
0: If they put your CD <laughs> in their computer and it comes up and says track one, track two, track three, Right. Eject
1: trash can. That or they'll try to find it. (laughs) Yeah. And it says Lionel Richie or something. Yes. (laughs) Greatest hits from 1979.
0: Make sure your album is in the Grace Note database. Right. So that when you load it into iTunes, all your
1: information's there. But even Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Do we need to, not everybody knows how to do that. Sure. Because you you have to actually make a CD. Yes. You can't just do it from within iTunes. Right. You have to. You have to make the CD that you're going to be sending. Yes. Label it, mm-hmm. and then Grace Note it. Submit it to submit Grace Note. Submit it to Grace. You note. can
0: submit it through iTunes, but it has to be it has like to be said, from a physical a right. It has to be in a the CD because that's right.
1: how they whatever they do to right. it. So, so you
2: put a CD in, yeah. go through all your tracks, rename them all, and then send to Grace Note. Well, you
1: yeah. have to burn it in iTunes though. Oh, really? So if you're doing a digital only
0: release, you need to make sure you burn at least a master copy for yourself. Yeah, Um, Because in that case, like say you only get 25 CDs made just to send out or maybe you burn them one at a time and send them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it doesn't match that disc and they put it in, man, it just kills you because... You get all this Japanese, yeah. You'll what is this, this
1: foreign language stuff? Yeah,
0: it'll things. usually try to match it to something, and right. yeah, it's it's like way off. So, may, maybe we'll in the in the track notes or the um the show note links. Maybe I'll go through and get the exact steps from where to right. go. In the and there's also menu. a
1: difference between that and MP3 because MP3 will retain the metadata. That's the thing. It's that, a very different thing yes. than than your wave files. Wave like files
0: your, and AIF files on CDs cannot contain the metadata,
1: um, that supervisors like. So why why don't you take that and run with it a bit? What's changed too, is that most people don't want CDs. Yeah. They're just send me a link so I can download it. I can grab it on my own time. Yeah. And I have, they have complete control over, you know, that whole process. So I don't think that I've sent out a CD. Well, I don't send anything out now, I guess, but like when I was doing it, probably the last three or four years, I was doing zip files. Now, hmm. have you, um, of, it, of the MP3, as
0: far as sending them a link, have you, uh, used Dropbox, box.net, SoundCloud?
1: Dropbox and okay. box mostly. Yeah. Um, and then it was like a company called FileBlaze. I don't know if you remember, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know,
0: it was interesting. One particular supervisor, she started out really liking box.net. So I was constantly using that cause I knew that was her thing. And then she's like, Hey, um, I'm starting to really dig SoundCloud because I can see where the chorus is coming or she wanted to quickly go through you see the oh, and skip cool. ahead to certain peaks. And see where it explodes. And in. especially, you know, music supervisors love material before it's released. Right. Right. It's, it's almost critical. If you send them a CD that's already been released, it's, some people don't even take it. Right. They'll tell you up front, only unreleased material. Um, But you can send them a private uh, SoundCloud link so that nobody else can have it. That's right. And they can skip ahead to those things in the songs. I thought that was kind of interesting. That's right.
1: And you can get paid, SoundCloud, um, you can get paid for streams on SoundCloud. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't even realize that. Make sure that y'all's stuff is, you know. No, I need to go check into that. Yeah. Okay, so about SoundCloud. Yeah. I'm going to, my administrative company that handles all my sync for me they use SoundCloud, okay, for their compilations. Yep, and so anybody can go and listen. It's like what you said; yeah. they can go and listen um, to the instrumentals and, you know, the the album versions on SoundCloud. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, it keeps you from you know messing up your metadata if you're just sending MP3s. But about the MP3s, the difference in MP3s and in the waves, the, the wave files are. They're obviously like full res audio files, right. which are typical on CD releases. Yeah. And so that's designed for it to be for it to be uploaded to Grace Note through iTunes. But it has to be on an actual disc. You have to burn what you're sending onto the disc first, yeah. along with all of the, the names, the song yeah. names. You don't have to really do anything else. Yeah just make sure you have your artists in the song names and their rights. They're, you know, it's not, you don't have like the first song, is the third song and you yeah. mess, you know, kind of mess that up.
0: Check your spelling. I have Check a friend spelling, that has all of that stuff misspelled song. Do not do everything academy. uppercase. <laughs> don't,
1: yeah. You don't do everything in uppercase. Do yes. it just like on, you know, don't do it. Don't get artsy. Yes. <laughs> you know, be very simple. Streamline yeah. with it. So it's easy on the eyes. The easier you can make it for them, the better. Yeah. And then you, then you'll upload that. And so that CD, every time you burn it, that particular CD will always be registered. So you, whatever you send out, so that's the the wave version or AIFF version. The MP3s you'll go in, and you can put in all the information like when you do Apple I or whatever computer you yeah. have, yeah. and you put in the information. That will it'll allow you to do the artwork. It'll allow you to do the lyrics. I think that's wise. Yes. I can't tell you how many times even my representative says. Lee, I need the lyrics. Yeah. And I I'm like, again, Lee, I need the lyrics. Constantly. So mm-hmm. lyrics are good. The album cover is good because people like they like to see the art. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's a part of a lot of people will see art and though they either will listen to it or not listen to it because of the art. Yeah. I totally, dude. It that. just feels better. It's weird. It almost like it sounds better because you've got a visual with it. It's you important. Know? Um, now if your art's bad, don't send art. Yeah. <laughs> don't just draw something quickly just to have. Art. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stick yeah. with right. the music. No. And <laughs> if you need to know if it's bad or not, you need to ask a couple of friends, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll be honest with you. Um, <laughs> and you know, do not your, friends right, yeah. and do your name, do the song name, just like the, the, the wave, you know, version, you know, make sure everything is right. Yeah. And the, the thing about the MP3s is, is which to me ended up being better is, the supervisors only need the wave files when it's going to be placed. Yes. They will, they're will. they okay with MP3s even when they send them to the studios yep. for them to tempt them in to the spots. Yep. They're cool with MP3s until they actually need it to go to post yep. for the show. That's when they need the waves.
2: But it's got to be the exact mixdown. You can't be yeah, right. Don't it's got to be.
1: It, it yeah, has to be an sure. MP. It needs to be an MP3 of your master. Yes. Yeah. Of your your wave master. Right. Um, also, we kind of have been talking about instrumentals. It's very important that when you do a record, to make sure that whoever mixes, they mix or master both. Yes. Instrumentals, as well as your album versions, because they will always need them. Hmm. They don't always yeah. want to hear your lyric in certain parts. It's they want to the, have the luxury of being able to fly in the identical yeah. master of an instrumental with with a vocal. So right. that's important, too.
0: Because it could compete with the dialogue of the scene. Right. Or maybe musically
1: it matches the scene, but lyrically it didn't. Do you so. remember when we you had to remix some of my older stuff? Mm-hmm. That was the Dawson's Creek stuff. Oh, okay. Well, that stuff, we didn't make instrumentals. Uh. They didn't need instrumentals. Back in the back then, yeah, back, way back then, yeah, back in the 90s. We won't 90s. say, how, Oh, it wasn't that, that far back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I was on the last season of Dawson's Creek, so yeah. I, I, I was kind of unlucky, or I may have, you know, had a run there, but yeah. um, it was like, yeah, early 2000s. But yeah. instrumentals are very important, everybody wants them and needs them now, even if they don't use them. Yeah, they want to have the opportunity to be able to use yeah. them if they can, so that's important.
0: And I've found just to throw it out quickly with mixer mastering engineers, um, it's usually if they're really nice, like I am, they'll just throw an instrumental in for free because it's really not. I mean, all you're doing is muting the vocals and hitting print again. You know what I mean? Right. But I I have before paid maybe 15 bucks extra for an instrumental version to be mastered. So you're not talking a whole other double fee. So it it should be practical for people and to it's do. worth paying that it is, like if, yeah. if
1: there are additional fees it's yeah now it's not worth it if somebody's charging you the same amount as the vocal master right and all they're doing is muting a few channels and yeah. that's you need to if they are just email one of us yeah we'll beat them up we'll hook you we'll, up. we'll <laughs> yeah. track them oh wait no we won't do that we'll- <laughs> We'll do it for you. We'll go hang them over the. We'll have to edit that part out. Yeah. Suge Knight style. We'll go hang <laughs> we'll them over the it. railing upside down. <laughs> We're just three bros trying to make it. You know, yeah. Like, yeah.
2: What about uh, sting versions? Do you do you do those or like a, like fifteen second? O-
1: only if that's specifically requested. Yeah. Okay. Which that. Um, that has not been, I, I haven't seen that request before, unless I was, I was focusing on an ad spot. Okay. yeah, That's when, you know, yeah. that would apply or in my experience, regular TV shows and film.
0: Yeah.
2: Nothing. Okay.
0: Nothing. That's funny. I had a song recently that they really wanted to license it, but they just, the, there was like a glockenspiel or like a chime kind of sound that wasn't working with what they wanted to do. And they're like, you know, we don't like want to offend you or anything but like can we get a version without that in there i'm like i don't care right (laughs) you know are you gonna license it sure yeah yeah i mean for the money take whatever you want out yeah the money they were offering (laughs) i was like i'll (laughs) I'll do whatever else i'll hit mute 10 times in a row on that one (laughs) no kidding so yeah but that's the great part about being your own engineer at least having access to those multi-track sessions to be able to that was something that's been kind of pricey,
2: you know, if you're if you're paying yeah. for remixes yeah. or you know yeah. edits and masters of the same totally, thing, you know. Yeah. That can get kind of pricey.
0: Yeah. So just just to kind of finish that up for anybody that maybe that metadata is like completely new for them, you can go into the info tab of the song in iTunes. And some of the music supervisors I've worked with, they like to even have a certain structure in the title. Right. So it was the label name followed by the artist name followed by the song name so that all of your stuff showed up together for them. Mm-hmm. And this might not be for everybody. This was just with some of the ones that I have worked at. So with my label being nation Republic, I would just put NR underscore halogen Hills underscore. We all something like that. And that was how they liked it. And the lyrics were great. The publisher information, your phone number, your address, you just got a lot more room in there than you do with the Grace Note stuff, right. to where, worst case, a disc gets lost or something, they can find you. Like you said, holding off, don't just be like, hey, well, here's the whole album in like 24 96 k for your Ponos player or whatever. Right. You know, <laughs> it's not practical for them to send those files around to where they need to send them. So keep it MP3, small file. Right. Do you usually do like 320 on the MP3s or do you have I'll do 320 320? because that, that's.
1: Yeah. You know, that's pretty much the equivalent of a wave. Right. You know, yeah. for the most part. And it's still only like 10 megs or right. twelve megs, depending on how long the song is. Yeah. And and definitely zip it, you know. Yeah. But labeling is really important and like how you said making sure that it's consistent. Yeah. Even if you're working with different supervisors, make what you do consistent. Yeah. Like every time it's the same. Yeah. That's so important. You know, because they they do not have time to deal with it. At all. And they won't take the time. No. They will. It could be a great song. It could be the song and you don't get the placement because you labeled it wrong or it didn't show up, you know. Can't find your
2: contact info or They can't find,
1: you know, and, and like the writer pub stuff is really important. From my experience, if they want to use your song, they request that stuff anyway. Gotcha. And so they may have it in the MP3, which I think is great. It's great for all that stuff to be in there. It's less that people have to try to track things down, yeah. but you know when they send in a request, if they if they want to, you know, at least like basically put your song on hold. At that time is when they'll request yeah. all the writer pub. Basically, when it's time well. to sign the paper, yeah, right. When yeah. yeah, but it's still good to have that in there. Yeah, for sure. It's just good to have everything consistent. Yeah. Like whatever it is that you're doing, right. have it all be the same with metadata yeah. always.
0: this is so good because I know when I first got into it, you just, um, you just don't even know where to start, you know? And sometimes you do make those early mistakes. You just, you send them like a press kit in the email and and you don't realize like, whoa, this is, this is not like trying to get a record deal back in the day. Mm -hmm. This is a whole different set of, you know, things that they are working with and just picturing that massive library of wall to wall CDs. And I mean, imagining the hard drives that they have and, you know so just they may be down to those two or three songs and any one of these will work and the client is happy with any of them and it all depends on who's the easiest to clear maybe who who's even the nicest the easiest to work with there you have it guys there's part one of our conversation with lee hester from too far moon thank you guys so much for checking it out we really appreciate your support and i hope you'll go check out lee's music and support him as well The information that he's sharing so freely with us is really invaluable and it's pretty rare to find someone with this amount of experience that's been able to license their music for such a long time to adjust with the times now and stay relevant. Tune in next week for part two of our conversation where we're going to find out from Lee how he got one of his songs in a feature film recently. And we're also going to further discuss with him some of the personal relationships he's been able to build with music supervisors and what he recommends on how to go about doing that. So we'll see you guys next week. One little thing before we go, leaving a review on iTunes is really helpful for us to get the word out. So if you would just take a moment to head and search for the new producers in the iTunes store, that'll give you a place where you can leave a review for the podcast if you enjoy what you're hearing. As we head out here, I want you guys to hear a little bit of Lee's music. So here's Strong Enough by Too Far Moon. Check it out.